It's starting to feel, especially with this indictment, which is why I wanted to talk to you, it's starting to feel like he's not going to get away with it this time, like the chickens might finally be coming home to roost. What is your sense of that? Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Dr. Allison Gill, the founder and CEO of MSW Media, a podcast network focused on news, politics, and justice. Allison, or AG as she's affectionately known, is a military veteran and was a high-level employee at the Department of Veteran Affairs, but was forced out of her job due to her particular podcast reporting on the special counsel Robert Mueller's probe of the 2016 election. Targeted for being a confidential contributor and host of the Muller She Wrote podcast, Allison went on to create The Daily Beans, a political and social justice podcast that gives the news with swearing five days a week. The weekly podcast Clean Up on Aisle 45, where she breaks down what's going on with the Justice Department and intelligence agencies as they literally clean up after Trump, and is now the co-host of the podcast Jack with American attorney and former deputy director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe which has been documenting the actions of special counsel Jack Smith and his ongoing DOJ investigations into Trump and his seemingly never-ending crimes. I'm having Allison on today to talk about the most recent and so far most serious Trump indictments, namely the ones related to January 6th and the conspiracy to defraud the United States. Trump has been indicted on four counts, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. The last seemingly innocuous one sounding to be the big one for anyone who wants to live in a democracy. At this, the tipping point of American history, it's Allison I wanted to talk to because Allison is one of those people who has been working so hard to draw the public's attention to Donald Trump's crimes for the past six years. She lost her job because of his criminal actions. She kept trying to sound the alarm through his impeachments, through his election lies, through the insurrection, and finally, finally, we are starting to see what might even be justice and accountability. Obviously, we have a long way to go, but it's Allison I thought you should hear from in this moment. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, military veteran, founder of MSW Media, podcaster and passionate warrior for justice, Dr. Allison Gill. Welcome back, my friend. It's so good to see you again. How are you? I'm good. I mean, I'm really thrilled to have you here, right? I just wanted, I so wanted to have you on the show as soon as those latest indictments came down, because I know how much of your life has been devoted, even given up to seeing some accountability from our criminal ex-president. And when those indictments dropped, especially the conspiracy against rights one, I thought, ooh, Allison's got to be feeling pretty vindicated in this moment. So will you give us a sense of the kind of journey that brought you to this moment and why I would be like, I have to talk to Allison? Sure. Um, you know, as you know, I'm a veteran. I had a very short Navy career back in the 90s. And then, you know, I went to work for the Department of Veterans Affairs after that for over a decade. And I went and got my uh, doctorate in public health so that I could do that to the best of my ability. I wanted to help veterans until I retired. And, you know, it got to the point where uh, Donald Trump won the election. And we we can do a whole other show about that night. Uh, (laughs) I spent most of that night in the shower. (laughs) 
but um, I was working in the Department of Veterans Affairs and I was like, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to defend the veterans against this guy and all this other stuff. And then the Mueller investigation started and I was like, this seems pretty historic. Um, uh, MSNBC was showing a Watergate documentary, uh, you know, probably because of the parallels uh, between Nixon and Trump. And I thought, you know, I bet in 15 or 20 years, there'll be Mueller documentaries. How do I get in on this? And I want to document this for history and be a part of it. This is important. It seems weighty. It seems heavy. Um, And so I grabbed a a microphone and some friends at a kitchen table and started the Mueller She Wrote podcast. Uh, And very soon after that, it was in April of 2019 when the Mueller report came out, uh, and I was pushing back on the spin that Bill Barr and Trump were trying to put on it. That Yeah, that it was it, all good, no Russia interference, nothing happened, look away. <laughs> yep, that exonerated, fully exonerated him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was at that point that Donald Trump's Office of General Counsel advised my supervisor to contact me and tell me that my job was no longer available in San Diego and I needed to move across country or, or be fired. And they already knew I wasn't going to move across country because before this supervisor told me that I was offered his job in D.C. and I turned it down. I couldn't leave the Southwest because this is where my aging mother is and my home and my family. And so they Mick Mulvaney'd me, basically. Um, If you remember, he spoke to a room full of donors saying we've got this great new way to get rid of government employees. Um, if they're not loyal to us, and that's to move their job across country. Now, of course, if Trump wins again, they'll just destroy Schedule F. And yeah, be able- and they'll just fire people uh, willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. Yep, making so, sure everyone's a loyalist. Yep, yep, and there'll be loyalty tests and all sorts of weird stuff. So we have to make sure to vote. But that's basically the, what set it up that I'm like, all right, well, this is what I do now. And I am going to be uh, doing this until justice comes. And uh, it did in the form of these indictments. So let's talk about that, right? Let's talk about this latest set of indictments. I think we are at 78 total as this podcast goes to air. So one for every year of Trump's life, plus a bonus indictment, I guess. And uh, I feel like these last four, though, are the really the crux of his attack on the country. What do you think about that? I do. I agree with you, especially you brought up Title uh, 18, U.S. Code Section 241, um, born out of the Klan Act, uh, and I loved that Ellie Mistal was like, Donald Trump's been indicted under the Klan Act more than David Duke. <laughs> oh, my God. So this is conspiracy against rights. And this is we were wondering, uh, you know, Andy McCabe and I do the show Jack, which is about the, the, the Jack Smith investigation. We were wondering, is it going to be against our right to a peaceful transfer of power? Is it going to be against Joe Biden's right to ascend to the presidency, having won the election? Or is it going to be against us, our right to vote? In this country, and it turns out the way he applied it through that whole, all those schemes to retain power illegally, that he deprived us of our right to vote and have our vote counted. And the gravity of that is is so important. And I'm glad that, that he picked that particular statute and used it in that way, because now he doesn't have to worry about First Amendment arguments. He doesn't have to worry about whether or not he truly incited a riot, but the riot is part of his attempt to take away our right to vote, which makes us all victims of this crime. Well, let's let's go back and back it up just in case people don't follow it the way you and I do. There are four indictments uh, that came down recently that we're talking about here. The first one is conspiracy to defraud the United States, which is basically fraud against the government and kind of this charge to 
the plot to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power. So that is the first one. And the one we were just talking about is the fourth. And I think we should get to that. But I want to kind of lay it out for people so they understand conceptually how this goes. So you pointed out on the Jack podcast with Andy McCabe that this indictment itself lays out a long factual narrative that even lay people like me can understand. Um, It also refers to the actions of six criminal co-conspirators, which are pretty easily distinguishable people, even though they're called co-conspirator number one, co-conspirator number two. We know they are Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Sidney Powell, Jeffrey Clark, a man named Kenneth Cheesebro. And I think we think that the sixth co-conspirator is a man named Boris Epstein, right? Though I don't think that's entirely confirmed yet. Am I correct so far? Yes, 100%. Okay. So now just as a side note, For people to understand, does this mean only these six people might have criminal culpability along with Trump? Or are these just the ones that are most directly involved in this particular indictment? These are just the ones in this indictment. There could be several others. There could be no others. There could be indictments of uh, the Willard war room. Hotel people. Okay. Which I call the, I call them the lieutenants, right? The, the Roger Stones and the, the Flynn, Mike Flynn's and the Steve Bannons of the world. And then these co-conspirators and Trump are like the generals, right? They ran this whole, this whole coup plot. And then there could be fraud, uh, separate, like Sidney Powell's PAC fundraising for election integrity and not using the money for election integrity. Kind of like when Bannon was indicted for We Build the Wall, where he raised all this money uh, under the pretense of building a Mexican border wall, but then gave it to his friend and spent it on yachts and personal stuff. That's fraud. That's 20-year max sentence. You aren't allowed to do that. Yeah. Uh, and and Trump's PACs you know, are under investigation, and that could be considered fraud, and there might be other people involved with those frauds. I think the reason that we see these four and we see them against Donald Trump and his, his co-conspirators, but the other ones are unindicted, is so that they can get this to trial now. Yeah, quickly. I think it's pretty interesting that Jack Smith only charged Donald Trump here because, like you said, I think it has to do with getting it a speedy trial because when you add a bunch of other people on top of it, then it's like getting everyone's organized, getting everyone there on time, having the lawyers agree to what days we're going to do things. But if you just have one person, it makes the speedy trial part a lot faster. And whether those other co-conspirators are ultimately charged depends on if the DOJ gets there or needs their cooperation, right? Well, they might get their cooperation. And if they don't, I believe they will charge these other co-conspirators. It'll just be in a separate, it'll be in a separate trial. Separate trial. And other people might still go down for this that aren't even mentioned in this particular indictment. I mean, my brain thinks immediately of members of Congress who were in on the plan, like say Ted Cruz or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Josh Hawley or Tommy Tuberville, Tuberville, or people like Mark Meadows, right? Stephen Miller. Like there's no way these guys didn't know. So this charge of fraud against the government includes, like you said, the fraudulent elector scheme, Trump's attempt to say the DOJ, he wanted the DOJ to say there was corruption even though there wasn't, and to create a sham investigation as a cover for what he wanted to do with Congress. This indictment also includes trying to delay the certification of the vote, which of course he was looking to Mike Pence to do. And part of this indictment is also Trump's impact deceiving like a huge and angry crowd, right? And then ultimately sending them off uh, to attack the Capitol, which they did, and target the vice president specifically. So that's the first charge, which is the conspiracy to defraud the United States. The second charge is conspiracy to obstruct the electoral count. 
The third one is obstructing an official proceeding, which is the charge that's being most frequently used against the January 6th defendants. And then the one we were talking about, which is conspiracy against rights, which sounds a little innocuous, honestly. I was saying that in the introduction. It sounds like, what does that mean, conspiracy against rights? But I think you put it really beautifully when you said the question is, whose rights was he conspiring against, right? And Jack Smith has decided to bring the charge saying he was conspiring against all United States voters, right? That we, the people, are his victims. So it's the U.S. versus Donald Trump. The idea being that his goal was to take our right to vote away from us. And to paraphrase Andy McCabe on your show, it was his schemes, his lies, in combination with his legal team, because a lot of these co-conspirators are, in fact, lawyers, who knew what they were doing. And they tried to disenfranchise 80-plus million people from having their vote lawfully counted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I totally agree with that whole assessment. All of those schemes that you brought up, the fraudulent elector scheme, the the big lie, the Pence pressure campaign to put this uh, illegal ultra-virus pressure on, on the vice president of the United States to do something that he can't legally do, um, the violence at the Capitol, the DOJ, sham investigations. All of those things are part of all of these charges, which is what I really love about this indictment. The first one, the defraud the United States, which is the 371 count, and the third one, which is the obstructing an official proceeding, the 1512C2 count, those are the two I've been expecting, and I've been expecting them because a long time ago, Judge Carter determined that Donald Trump and John Eastman were more likely than not guilty of violating those two statutes. Uh, and that was in, in a when Eastman was trying to keep his emails from going over to the January 6th committee, and they were yeah. found to be crime fraud accepted. Now, and then we can also, then the conspiracy to obstruct is the, the second one that you mentioned, but I really am... Um, I was really interested to see how the, the, he applied the conspiracy against rights. And I felt uh, not just for myself personally uh, vindicated, but for all voters everywhere. And it, it would be I would be remiss to say that in those swing states and in those counties that are mentioned in this indictment, it's really about his disenfranchisement of the black vote in those particular counties. Yeah. Antrim, Fulton, Cot, like all if you look at the ones that are mentioned and I think that that is uh, even a, a stronger bid to bring it under 241 uh, of the Ku Klux Klan Act because of those targeted groups of voters. They mentioned uh, the election workers, too, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss and that conspiracy. So everything's covered in here, but it's in a nice, neat package that will not take long to prosecute and has a lot of years attached to it um, for, for sentencing. So. Uh, I think it's a, a pretty eloquent legal work product. Yeah, I think a lot of lawyers would totally agree with you. They say it all the time. This is one of the most beautifully put together indictments that really is so, so cut and dry. Okay, so going ahead, what are some of Trump's potential defenses? I mean, the internet and right-wing media is just filling up with BS excuses like he was just exercising his freedom of speech, he was just following advice of counsel, or he really believed he had just won and he was trying to do the right thing. So talk me through these potential defenses. Freedom of speech. Let's start there. <laughs> yeah. In paragraph two, I think, of the indictment, uh, Jack Smith makes it clear that this isn't about speech and you can lie your face off and I don't care. Uh, you can lie to people all day long, and that's not what this is. Uh, right. This is about conspiracy against rights, and and this is about your criminal conduct, not your speech. 
And there's a lot of crimes that come with speech attached, you know, for example, the fraud thing that we were talking about before. It is Bannon's right to say uh, we need to build a wall between here and Mexico, but it is criminal for him to tell people that I'm raising money to build a wall for Mexico and then spending that somewhere else. So there's speech there, right? But you don't have the right to defraud people. And that's kind of where we're at with this. Uh, George Conway always brings up this great example of O.J. Simpson, when he actually did go to prison for was he uh, somebody stole some of his memorabilia and had it in a room in Las Vegas. And he barged in with a gun and stole it back at gunpoint. And his defense was, it was my stuff. And it's like, sure, but you can't breaking break in with and wield a weapon. That's a, a crime. So all those things sort of have come up in that. And then the advice of counsel is... Um, <laughs> Not I just okay before we get to advice of counsel I just want to tell people I want you to understand when you hear this free speech stuff that what Trump's people are saying is that the Justice Department is criminalizing his speech that nothing is more protected than political free speech and the Biden DOJ is trying to criminalize Trump's political speech that it's some sort of political retribution from someone who wants to beat him in an upcoming election but of course, this defense completely ignores that none of this has anything to do with Biden, first of all, because Jack Smith is an independent special counsel removed from even Biden's appointed attorney general. But we need to be incredibly clear that he's Trump is not in trouble for what he said. He's in trouble for what he did. The indictment is incredibly clear that Donald Trump is free to lie. He's free to say the election was stolen knowing that it wasn't, but he's not free to take actions based on those lies. It's not the saying for which he is in trouble. It is the doing, like you're saying with this O.J. Simpson thing. So he participated in a scheme to enlist fake electors to participate in a crime. He participated in conversations with state-level officials to coerce them into, you know, changing or finding votes. He tried to coerce his own vice president not to certify the election, right, to throw it back to the states. You're making a great point that every fraud case in America includes some version of speech, right? Like if I call you up and I trick you into giving me some money, that's not free speech. That's wire fraud, right? Like that <laughs> there is there is a part of, of a lot of crimes that includes speech, but that's not necessarily protected. Like, or as they say, an aspirational ask. He wasn't directing anybody to do anything. <laughs> he was aspirationally asking Brad Raffensperger mm -hmm. to, to, to toss out votes, which I thought was oddly weird, but also kind of hilarious. Like I could hear a mob boss aspirationally saying, uh, asking the question, wouldn't it be great if this guy wasn't around anymore? You know, yeah, like, it's, it would be so sad if that guy found himself at the bottom of a river. That's, you know, yeah. Just, or he, yeah be he wants to be an angel. That's, that's aspirational. It just, it's, it blows my mind that that's. Yeah. But, and I think, I think also, Allison, we should be clear that even though the indictment says you have a right to lie, you don't actually have a right to lie in court or to federal officials, right? It's called to the perjury. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you can lie on Fox News or on TV. You can have your surrogates lie to the American people, but you don't get to lie in court and call it free speech, right? So there are contexts in which you cannot lie. And using your lies to, say, throw out the results of a democratically... Uh, <laughs> finished yeah. election is kind of right there at the top of the list. Like that is not free speech. Um, so let's go on to the advice of counsel. 
Yeah, that's hilarious because in order to use an advice of counsel defense, he would have to waive all attorney-client privilege, which means all of the documents that Rudy's been trying to keep out of court in the defamation suit uh, against him by the election workers in Georgia would be cut would come in. It would be all of his attorney-client privilege would be waived, and he would also have to take the stand. <laughs> so no, we're not. You you might hear the public you know, uh, his lawyer, Lauro, publicly saying, uh, we were just taking advice of counsel. He will never make that defense in a court of law because he would have to put Donald Trump on the stand. And the reason you do is because you have to, you know, you have to testify that your counsel advised you to do something. That opens him up to cross-examination. No way. No. No lawyer worth his salt is going to put Trump on the stand. It would just be a debacle. I want people to understand that this following advice of counsel thing that you're hearing too is this idea that, Trump can't be held responsible for what he did because he was just doing what his lawyers told him to do. And this one is ridiculous, as Allison is pointing out, because A, we're responsible for our own actions. So this idea that a man, this president of the United States, by the way, can't think for himself or does whatever he's told is weak at best, but also because a fair amount of his co-conspirators are lawyers. So we know that a number of other lawyers told him the exact opposite information. So for every Sidney Powell telling him he's allowed to stay in power, you have a Bill Barr, his own attorney general, telling him the opposite, right? And like you're saying, this defense also means he has to testify because he would have to say, I didn't know, and this is the card I'm playing. He's never going to do that. And you would have to waive attorney-client privilege, which you're pointing out. And I know there are also people saying, well, what if he just truly believed that the election was stolen and he was acting honestly under this misbelief? But what you're saying is it doesn't really matter because he's still knowingly and willingly engaged in illegal behavior, right? Like mm-hmm. O.J. Simpson truly believed his stuff had been stolen. And then he knowingly and willingly got a gun and went to a hotel room and held people up to get it back. That's the crime, not the thinking something. It's the action afterward. Right. It's the behavior. And and it wasn't just, you know, these six lawyers who told him what he wanted to hear. He, he shut people out of the room who didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. Uh, and, you know, like you said, Bill Barr, uh, the Pats, I, it was what I call Pat Cipollone and Pat Philbin, uh, the White House counsel, deputy White House counsel. The people Hirsch, we saw a lot in the January 6th hearings. Hirschman, Rosen, Donahue, everybody up and down at the DOJ who said that they would resign en masse if, if they put in Jeffrey Clark as the attorney general. And all of the White House lawyers were like, except for his weirdo six group of, you know, people who think that, you know, Venezuela is somehow involved. Um, everybody told him. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it, it, it's I mean, it's obvious the advice of counsel won't work. But it's also, like I said, because he shut people out. He stopped inviting the people who he didn't want to listen to. So he wasn't taking advice of counsel. He was creating his own counsel. Right. And listening to you and Andy talk on your podcast, Jack, it seems like you both think that Trump's lawyers know he's probably going to be found guilty here because the case is so strong. So what they're doing now is kind of floating a bunch of ideas that they might be able to use in an appeal uh, later on. And this is kind of common for lawyers to do, to plant seeds during the original case, knowing they'll probably lose, that they hope will grow into something useful when they come back for appeal. Is that sort of, does that seem reasonable? Yeah, that's precisely right. Um, Over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, the January 6th committee started putting together recommendations to shore up 
the Electoral Count Act. And Republicans were all for it. And I was like, that's weird. Why? And it seemed, it kind of became clear when Susan Collins said, well, Trump didn't do anything wrong uh, because, you know, this Electoral Count Act is so confusing. That's why we have to fix it. And I was like, that's their, that's going to be their appeal. Because if you remember uh, a guy named Bob McDonnell, he was a Virginia governor. He was uh, convicted for bribery under the Corruption Act uh, by Jack Smith, by the way. And um, he appealed. It went up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court threw out his conviction because he said they said the Corruption Act was too ambiguous and vague. And so when they're using language like the Electoral Count Act is ambiguous and vague, like this is, you know, you're going to lose. You're going to try to appeal to this extreme court, which is what I call the Supreme Court, and say, hey, help us out here. The Electoral Count Act's pretty confusing, isn't it? And see if they can get it tossed out that way. I don't think yeah. it'll work uh, in this particular instance, because even Eastman admitted that he would lose. Well, at first he said 7-2, but then he conceded 9-0 at the Supreme Court with his electoral, you know, fraudulent elector scheme. But, you know, this Supreme Court, I don't put anything past them. So I don't think any of us do. I mean, I think this whole thing just puts the country at such risk. Like, I I don't see how the country comes back from such a slam dunk case with a guilty verdict where we all know that this ex-president committed a coup or attempted coup to try and stay in power. And when he didn't get what he wanted underhandedly, he tried to take it by force. And then we see him get a guilty verdict. And then we see an appeal go all the way up to the Supreme Court. A Supreme Court, like you said, that we no longer really trust and can see is corrupt and in the bag for whoever's paying them. And it just feels awful, right? Also, what if he's acquitted, right? Like, what if he wins the election and pardons himself? I don't see how any of that bodes well for the country. And knowing what we know, <laughs> the fact that this man is still far and away the front runner for the Republican nomination is also just so, so heartbreaking for the country, right? Um, there's a wonderful author and writer, I'm sure you know him, named John Pavlovitz. And he said that these indictments are more traitorous than anything we've witnessed in our young nation's lifetime. But that's not really the story here. There were days when things like this would have been deal breakers to any patriotic American. And to many, they aren't anymore. And that's something that we sort of have to keep in mind, that there's people that are like, I don't care. I'll vote for him, you know, if he's living in jail. <laughs> You're like, really? Is that how far we've come? It's very, I think it's very distressing. I'm sure you find it a bit distressing. Now, let's move past that and talk about this speedy trial, because that I think is essential, that this man does not get back into power, that he is not our president again, because that will go so terribly for the country, right? So Jack Smith has asked for a speedy trial, which is probably why we said Trump is the lone defendant in this case, even though there are unnamed co-conspirators. Talk to me why that's important, because I think he's asking for that on behalf of the public, because it's our right to have a resolution. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at BetterHelp. I'm so excited to have BetterHelp back with this podcast, because I know how essential mental health is and how out of reach it feels to so many people. I've been through a lot in my life, and there have been many moments where having a therapist was the one thing that kept me on track. Whether you're dealing with a decision around your career, your relationship, loss, isolation, or just trying to figure out your direction, therapy helps you stay connected and focused while you navigate your life. I think we can all agree that life is no joke. 
I've been through a terminal diagnosis, the sudden death of my mother, money fears, parenting troubles, just being in a long-term relationship, and my therapist has been my lifeline through all of it. The grounding I needed to keep me focused on who I am and what my intentions are for this life. My husband is in therapy. My son is in therapy. Honestly, everyone should be because taking care of your mind is just as important as taking care of your body. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. You don't have to go anywhere. It's completely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists for any reason for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash politicsgirl today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, spelled H-E-L-P, dot com slash politicsgirl. So I've been talking about Miracle Made Sheets a lot these days, and you guys have been writing to tell me how much you like them. Working with Miracle Made, I've learned so much about how much bacteria our sheets actually have on them, which is why we get acne or allergies or stuffy noses from our beds. And to be honest, having that information is pretty disgusting. But knowing that there are companies like Miracle Made who offer whole lines of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding really helps. Miracle Made bed sheets use silver-infused fabrics that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, so they stay cleaner three times longer than regular sheets. They're also super comfy, soft and luxurious without that high price of other sheets, so stop sleeping on bacteria and sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to try Miracle Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, when you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code politicsgirl at checkout, you will get three free towels and save an extra 20%. That's a great deal. And Miracle is so confident that you're going to love their product that they've backed it with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. So update your sleep today with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl to claim your three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. That's trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl. So as you might know, I was up in Canada for July, living with my dad, and I can't tell you how much I missed my Lomi. Watching the kitchen scraps die in that little bucket under the sink with the dripping bag on its way to the composter, it just made me realize how terrific the Lomi really is. There's a reason I'm so devoted to my Lomi and want everyone to have one. And if you don't know, Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps into dirt in under four hours. As responsible humans, we know we make too much garbage and we want to do our best by the environment. But that weird smelly compost bin underneath your sink, that just isn't it. Food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. And by reducing the amount of food we send into landfills, we reduce the amount of methane we put into the air, which is why we all need a Lomi. All those food scraps are turned into nutrient-rich dirt we can feed to our plants or put in the compost bin or just toss in the garbage. So if you wanna start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleaning up after dinner that much easier, then the Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl at checkout. I really wouldn't pitch this product so hard if it wasn't so great. Lomi.com. 
yeah, it's usually the defendant who believes they're innocent that asks for a speedy trial. We saw it with Sussman in the Durham investigation, Mike Sussman. Right. He's like, let's go. I'm innocent. And he was acquitted. Um, we saw it with Gregory Craig in the Mueller investigation. He's like, let's do it. Let's get this done. And I and he was also I think he was convicted, but then it was thrown out. He, he ended up not you know, going to prison. But in this case, Jack Smith wants it to go fast. I think he wants a trial to be within 70 days. And That's, Trump and his lawyers want it to be like three and a half years from now. Yeah. And, and today, <laughs> actually, as we record this is when um, the DOJ's uh, responses do for when they would like the trial to be. Mm -hmm. I see them trying to get it done this year. Um, they might ask for those 70 days. I know Trump has filed a motion saying that um, everything up to August 28th shouldn't count because that's when our first hearing is. That's when the judge is going to set the trial date. Okay. So they're already trying to pick away at some of these days in the Speedy Trial Act because I'm, I think they're pretty sure that, they'll, that the DOJ will win their request for a speedy trial because the public does. It's not just the defendant that has a right. The public has a right to justice as well. And that's what he's asking for that under. I, I do want to say, though, uh, that as, as important as, as this is to get done before the election, a conviction and even prison doesn't mean he can't be president and that he can't continue to run. So I just want to tell everybody that a conviction here by the DOJ doesn't get us off the hook as voters. We're still members of this democracy. And knowing that he tried to take that away from us and conspire to remove our right to vote, I hope inspires us to go and do just that to ensure that if he is the nominee, um, it's up to us. You know, Rachel Maddow said there's no magic bullet here. The DOJ alone can't save us. The courts alone can't save us. All of the guardrails of democracy have to be functioning as one. And one of the biggest is that we still have to vote and, and participate. And we saw that play out in Ohio uh, this week, um, which was just a fantastic victory. We saw it play out in Wisconsin for their Supreme Court election. And I think that will continue, and I hope. And, and that's why the work that you do, uh, Lee, is so important, is because you keep, you keep the message in, in the new media, in the new media space uh, where it needs to be, and you focus on the things that, that uh, matter or are important. So I just wanted to make sure everybody you know, understands that I don't think that this is a panacea, um, but I, I'm very excited about it him being convicted and going to prison. but Yeah, and we also have to keep in mind that anyone else who's running against him, you know, there are people like Vivek Ramaswamy who are like, I will definitely pardon him. There's people that are like, I won't pardon him. There's people that are still supporting him. And we have to think, okay, well, none of those people can be our leader. It's really about democracy versus some form of weird autocracy. Uh, if you're going to support someone who uh, tried to steal the last election and is wants to rule from jail, you should be off the table as well. Um, mm -hmm. As far as the trial itself... Please tell me about Judge Tanya Tukin, who is the one that has been assigned to this case on the D.C. Circuit. Now, she is a successful public defender and she was a private defense attorney, which is pretty rare for judges because they often come from a prosecutorial route. But she also has like an amazing background and a lot of experience as a trial lawyer, which I think will be incredibly helpful here. I feel like one of my jobs over the next several months is going to be uh, in defense of uh, Judge Tanya Chukin, uh, mainly because uh, she's an immigrant. 
Um, she's a woman of color. And those are, you know, Trump's two favorite, most respected things. Yeah. And she's um, from Jamaica, just so people know. She's an immigrant from Jamaica, I believe. Uh-huh. So we have to sort of like all join forces and, and make sure that because uh, there's going to be a lot and there already have been a lot. Um, but she is an incredible jurist. She's fair. She's concise. She uh, sentences based on the sentencing guidelines, whereas some of the other uh, more liberal justices or, excuse me, judges like Amit Mehta, for example, who sentenced the Oath Keepers, came in way under the sentencing guidelines created by the Sentencing Commission set up by Congress. Yeah. And what what Allison's talking about here is like the sentencing guidelines say for this crime, it should be around 15 years and he's coming in at like six or eight. Right. Like they wanted 25 years for the leader of the Oath Keeper, Stuart Rhodes, and they got 18. And in fact, Merrick Garland has issued a notice that he intends to appeal those sentences, which is very rare. I think they're doing that because they, some of these same charges are being brought against Donald Trump. And they, one of, one of the things you have to do when you're making sentencing recommendations is you have to sentence uh, defendants like you've sentenced other defendants. You can't be like, I'm going to sentence you who obstructed an official proceeding, Mr. Stuart Rhodes, to 18 years. But Donald Trump, who did it, who did the same thing, you get 30. You know, you aren't allowed to do that. They, you have to. That's part of the rules. Right. Uh, in our justice system. And I think that's probably why he put in for that appeal. Uh, but Judge Chutkin tends to go right with the guidelines. Um, and she like I said, she's just very fair. And I personally love that she was a defense um, public defender. Uh, for so very long. I think it gives her a different sort of view of justice in this country. I also think people should understand that she's been on the bench since 2014. She was unanimously confirmed 95 to zero by the U.S. Senate. She's presided already over a number of January 6th defendants, and she has uh, been quoted saying a president is not a king. And I think that's very important. I think it's also important to note that we've seen people online saying this, that we absolutely cannot politicize this judge. Yes, she is an Obama appointee and she's a black woman, but first and foremost, she is an excellent judge, a fair judge, not in the tank one way or another. This is not a political appointee we're dealing with, um, you know, in comparison to someone like, say, Eileen Cannon down in Florida, who is clearly political and in the tank for Trump. This is a competent and fair arbiter of the law who just happened to be sat on the federal bench during Obama's term in office. But we have to be really clear we're not politicizing her. We're not saying, yay, team us and team them and team like she's just a very fair judge. And I think that's incredibly important. 95 um, to zero. Every 95 single- to zero. Every single Republican voted for her. So when the Donald Trump people come along and say that he shouldn't have to be tried in D.C. because it's not going to be fair and he shouldn't have to be tried by her because it's not going to be fair and he should really be tried by his own voters because those are his peers, that we should have it in our head that like that makes no sense. Like he's asking now for his entire trial to be moved to West Virginia with a more mega friendly jury. Um, but that's more not- diverse. He actually yeah. called it a more diverse jury. <laughs> yeah. So he's saying more white people, which is hilarious. Um, but that's not how the law works. You're tried where your crime was committed. He was indicted in a D.C. court with a D.C. grand jury. The crime was committed in D.C. And this kind of concept of saying you can only have a fair trial if everyone is sort of his voter makes zero sense. Yeah. And to piggyback on that a little bit, and I'm sorry to interrupt you because, you know, you, you brought up the 95-0 vote. All Republicans voted for this judge. It reminded me of the fact that, you know, along those same lines, every single witness against him is a Republican. 
many who said and That's are right. quoted in the indictment, I voted for him. I was disappointed in the outcome of the election, but I will not, uh, you know, trample on my oath of office or the Constitution for this kind of thing. So I think it's not only important that we note that the, all the Republicans who voted unanimously for this judge, but Republicans, they are the witnesses in, in this trial. Yes, there's over 80 witnesses already on the list, and they are all Republican. And I think that's essential. This is not the Biden Justice Department bringing down some political thing. This is, a, and hopefully, an apolitical judge uh, with Republican witnesses. And we're doing this trial exactly as it was supposed to be. So Trump has already been arraigned on the charges in D.C. He's pled not guilty. He's out on bail. The next hearing is scheduled for uh, August 28th, I believe, right? And his lawyers have already filed a motion signaling their plan that they want to delay the trial. <laughs> Big shocker. That's his move. Delay, delay, delay. I think the whole thing is he wants a continuance until after the election where he wins and he pardons himself. But he's already kind of in contempt of court, right? I mean, one of the conditions of his bail included not speaking to or intimidating witnesses. And almost immediately after making that deal and leaving the court, he was on Truth Social saying, if you come after me, I'll come after you, which is pretty clear witness intimidation. So what are your thoughts on that? So far, the Department of Justice in, in either the Mar-a-Lago documents case or this case, the D Department of Justice has asked for no conditions. It's been the judge who's jumped in and said, I think maybe we should have some conditions. And the DOJ is like, great idea, judge. You know, we don't want to be the ones. It doesn't want to look political. We don't want it to look political. It's essential. Precisely. And so I don't see the, the DOJ, you know, even the right, the right, they filed a protective order for the evidence, which is going to be heard this Friday in Judge Chutkin's courtroom. And all that means is that, and it's very common, it's very routine. It means that the nobody can put that, put the evidence out into the public because everybody knows the core base of our justice system is that will harm, that will try it in the court of public opinion. And that is not how we do things. And Trump's motion has admitted that's what they want to do. Yeah, of course. That's their stated goal is to be able to use this and put it out in, into the world and, uh, you know, try this in the court. And so he's people are like not seeing the forest for the trees. People are arguing about whether he has a First Amendment right to say what the evidence is or what specific evidence he should be able to talk about and what he shouldn't be able to. No, you can't talk about any of the evidence ever. I'm sorry. That's not how this works. It's bad for bad for the country. Well, I think it's really good that people understand that. Like most things Donald Trump does, putting on truth social, if you come after me, I'll come after you. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. But he'll probably get away with it. Right. So we probably won't see a gag order unless he says he calls for like outright violence or something. But which he kind of has, but I yeah, I, again, yeah, but you know what? Be, you know us and the the right way to do things. There's multiple steps. Okay, please don't do it. All right, come on back. Please don't do it again. All right, third time, please. Okay. All right. Now we're going to have to say that you can't use social media to talk about the case and that, you know, and it might not even get to that point because it's just so politically charged, uh, which honestly puts him above the law a little bit. Yeah, it does. And when people say there's two, you know, it's the Republicans who keep saying there's two levels of justice, you know, the two justice systems. You're like, yeah, right now we're watching it. Most of us that went out and did direct witness intimidation would be thrown back in jail and our bail would be revoked. But, but in this case- prevent appeal and to, right. to not give him a defense or not give him an appeal. This is to ensure justice is done, uh, in my opinion, um, yeah. it, because there are differences when it's a former president or somebody who's famous. 
uh, even uh, somebody who's able to get a large following on true social and perhaps intimidate witnesses or jurors. That's just the kind of the nature of the beast. Um, and I understand the desire, but locking him up now for a few weeks versus making sure he's convicted and can't be appealed and is in prison for the rest of his life. I'll take yeah. the latter. Absolutely. And I think we want to be clear that what you were talking about, this protective order that has been put in, it's a protective order for all the information that the prosecution has to give over to the defense counsel in discovery. So they didn't put a gag order on Trump, but they have put stipulations on the evidence um, because with this defendant, dissemination of the evidence seems likely, right? He's going to tell people in, in order to be tried in the court of public opinion. That's where he wants to be. Yeah, he's admitted. He's like, this is what I want to do. I want to disseminate it to the public and yeah. you can't stop me. Um, so we'll, we'll see what Judge Chute can say. <laughs> let's, let's see. <laughs> All right. So listen, to tie it up, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not one for being optimistic. I'm a realist, right? But it's starting to feel, especially with this indictment, which is why I wanted to talk to you. It's starting to feel like he's not going to get away with it this time. Like the chickens might finally be coming home to roost. What is your sense of that? Yeah, here what I think is going to happen is the the documents case will be delayed until forever, uh, just because we've got uh, Judge Eileen Cannon down there. Uh, I think that the D.C. case will happen before the election, and I think he will be convicted, and I think he I think the Department of Justice will recommend prison time. Uh, now I don't know it will be a traditional prison. Um, it might be house arrest, but there's a you know there's another option. There were safe houses on military bases where Ehrlichman and John Dean served their sentences because of Secret Service protective detail and stuff. So there's there's other options besides what... what uh, there are more things on heaven and earth than I've dreamt of in your philosophy, Allison. Um, so <laughs> I, I keep trying to go back to that, but I think he will be convicted uh, there. Um, I, he'll appeal, but by the time the appeal goes through, I think we'll be past the election. And I do believe, based on what I've seen in Ohio and Wisconsin and Kansas, that we will vote for Biden and Harris in, in 2024. And I think that we'll flip, we'll take the House back. I don't want to make any predictions about the Senate because the map is awful for Democrats, but I want to- It is true, but I do think like voting for democracy, voting for rule of law, voting for bodily autonomy, these things are essential. And I think anyone paying attention, and that is partially my job to make sure they are, understands what's on the line with this election, that there's so much happening here that, you know, legal experts have said this indictment that we're talking about is one of the strongest ones they've ever read as far as legal theory. And what a lot of us have been saying all along when it comes to Jack Smith, when people were freaking out about accountability and it not going fast enough, is that it was essential that he dot all those I's and cross all those T's that as the old expression says, if you come for the king, you best not miss. Mm -hmm. And Jack Smith has lined up all his facts and his shot is right on target. So I think this indictment is laid out beautifully. Um, legal experts are pretty sure that Jack Smith probably has some other aces up his sleeve that will be brought up in trial, like witness testimony. But the whole thing starts to feel a bit like a vindication, like you said. Like we have all been gaslit for so long that we're finally seeing this and feeling like, hey, 
we're not crazy. Like we watched this insurrection happen on television. We saw the violent storming of our Capitol. We know officers died. We heard Trump tell everyone the election was stolen and then go on to lose a bunch of court cases that clearly proved it was not. And yet Republicans around the country changed our election laws. Over 450 election laws were changed based on that deception of the big lie. We heard Donald Trump on tape asking the Georgia Secretary of State for votes. We saw potential electors, you know, and state legislatures from swing states drinking champagne in the Trump hotel lobby after meeting with the president. We know, like you said earlier, that there was a headquarters at the Willard Hotel. We watched the January 6th testimony. We know that he know he lost and what he was doing was wrong and he did it anyway. And I think at one point in the indictment, it says that Trump says to Pence, you're just too honest. He knows he knows he he ruined the lives of election workers. He slandered the Democrats. He made the country doubt its own democracy and its own election system. And he knew what he was doing was against the Constitution and he did not care. And he is running for office again and the entire party is supporting him. And I think for a long time, those of us paying attention are like, are we taking crazy pills? Does nothing matter? And now it feels different. And I think that's so important. It's refreshing. Um, and, you know, since 2021, uh, I've been saying the DOJ has to investigate this. They will. We saw it. It would be political not to. Uh, they have to. Everybody, trust me, they're going to do it. It'll happen. No, yeah, it'll happen. And it's and it's not going to happen probably till after April of 2023. Why does it take so long? Well, lots of reasons, but it'll just, just, they're doing it, I think. Oh, look, here's some clues that they're doing it. Oh, here's some more clues that they're doing it. And then to finally have it happen, because um, that wasn't an easy road to take, nope. the road that I took. Yeah. Um, but um, a lot of people stuck with me uh, and and believed in the rule of law. And it looks like, because we've done what we came to do, which is indict them. Everything else now is in the hands of a jury and a judge and, and really isn't in our hands anymore. So to me, justice has been done. But I also wanted to bring up something that, you know, I thought about, you know, people get very worried about, like, what if a dark horse Republican comes in like a like a Liz Cheney and it makes it real hard for us in 2024? And my answer is, look, if Liz Cheney wins the election, I will be very upset. Her and I disagree on 99.9% of everything. But if Liz Cheney is president, I'm not scared for democracy. Uh, somebody from the other party won, not a fascist who is going to gut our institutions and systems of government. I am not saying, please do not get me wrong. I will vote against a Liz Cheney. I will vote against a Brian Kemp. But there are Republicans who don't want to dismantle democracy or the, as they would call it, the constitutional Republic, you know, because they don't understand that it's the same thing. It's not a democracy. It's a Republic. <laughs> Shut up. Right. But, um, <laughs> If Donald Trump or DeSantis, which I doubt, but, you know, somebody like that is the is the front runner. Um, That's the I, end of America as we know yeah, it. Yeah, that, absolutely. I can work with an old school Republican when, where we have discussions about 
fiscal, you know, stuff and, you know, the old debates that we used to have. Not that you can't read certain books or that slavery was a rad thing for, you know, people of color to get some great skills or, you know, whatever it is that this new Republican Party is, this Trumpist MAGA Republican Party is, that's what we have to push back against. Uh, but this justice, I think, is is coming. And uh, it, some people think it's long overdue. I think it's right on time. But wherever you think it falls on the time schedule, it's, it's here, I think. And I think that's important, too. Well, I I absolutely refuse to see any future in which the Democrats who believe in bodily autonomy and the rights of women and the rights of uh, every single citizen in this country to have a, a pursuit of a life, liberty and happiness. I think that's only one party right now. And it doesn't matter who's in charge of the other party. They've they've lost the plot and they must be defeated until we can come back and find two sides of a coin again. Um, but I want to thank you so much for joining us, AG. In many ways, I know this trial will go on to define the course of our nation. And I think it's really essential that people like you who believed all the way along in the rule of law and waiting for justice to come are vindicated in this moment. So before you go, please let people know how they can follow along with this case with you. Uh, plus you do the Daily Beans, which is news every day that I never miss. So tell us how we can follow along um, as we go through this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just one more time. I do not advocate for any Republican to be president. <laughs> no, not not now. Not, not now. now. Not yeah. today. If they are reboot, not. baby. Yeah. You need a big reboot. Okay. Yes, they would really, and it's not going to be this year. Let's let's put it that way. Daily Beans, um, Daily News with swearing, absolutely. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to aggregate and deliver the news with appropriate profanity. That's daily. We've got the Jack podcast with uh, me and Andy McCabe, where we go over all the things on a weekly basis every Sunday about the Jack Smith investigation. And then Pete Strzok and I have a blast over on Clean Up on Aisle 45. We're going to be covering what's coming up in Georgia this week. So that uh, that's going to be what that podcast is going to be dedicated to probably pretty heavily for the next few months, if not longer. And then you can follow me on all the social medias, every single social media that ever existed at Mueller, she wrote, because there's so many now. And that is where you began, believing that justice could come. And I, I think that that is so appropriate to be your handle still, that Mueller, she wrote, is where you started. And, and it's kind of always where you're going to be in believing in America and believing in justice and believing that we're going to choose the right way out of this uh, crisis. So I want to thank you so much for coming. I'm crazy about you. Your work is amazing. And I hope you'll come back again. I absolutely will. What you do is incredible. It's so important. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're like an inspiration to me with what you do, uh, the way that you break things down and make it so easy to understand. So thank you so much. So that was Alison Gill, a passionate warrior for the rule of law who has never wavered in her belief that justice was coming. And here it finally is. We might not see that documents case for years. We're still waiting on Georgia. But I think these four indictments and the case of the US v. Trump is the one to watch. Jack Smith has done exactly what a special counsel is supposed to do. Stay quiet and independent as he built an airtight case against a president who attempted to stay in power after he lost. We need to remember that Trump didn't challenge the election results because he thought he won. He tried to overturn the election results because he knew he didn't. And this case, which we hope we will see before election day, will be the one to prove it. I want to thank Allison for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go and get someone registered to vote. No matter how this trial plays out, 
It'll be our votes in the 2024 election that will tell the world that with autocracy rising, we, the American people, choose democracy and the rule of law every single time. Until next week, PGA. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.